Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast and I'm, I'm in my usual seat in the Trafford Centre. I never planned it to be like this but Mike Phelan arranged to meet me here and then Ben Thornley last week and now I'm sat with another former Manchester United player, Billy Garton. Uh, if you read my book on the 80s, Billy's chapter was probably the one that got the most well received. Well, that and John Gidman's and John's just brought scandalous laughs from people. And John's been on this podcast. We know what John's like. He's a character with a capital C. And I've written a few things about Billy. And he's a Salford lad. I think he played 50 times for Manchester United. And then he moved to America. And the last time I saw him was in 2015 when United played in California. I stayed at Billy's house close to San Diego. I met his family and his wife, Fran, from Liverpool. And who we met in Manchester. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, three children four four children um, eldest boy Billy was a good footballer yeah, still lovely going. first touch yeah. lovely first touch how old's Billy now? yeah Billy's 19 now and he's still uh, having a go at trying to get on the ladder really it's, a, it's the clock's ticking for him obviously but he played a good level over in uh, in California he played at high level college uh, for a, a good college team and now he's back here with me looking at Maybe trying to get his foot in the door somewhere with one of the clubs. A mate of mine watched him on trial earlier this year at Watford. And my mate, well, James Scowcroft, he's been on here loads of times. He said his first touch was fantastic. He said physically he needed to bulk up a bit to yeah. be better for, for the English game. But yeah, he, said, he said there's a player there, definitely. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think physically is... Um, I, I, th- I think he's still got some growing to do. Um, but definitely a, a magnificent first touch. He's a left footer as well, which always I think makes it look a bit more elegant when they play and he's and he's got that elegant manner about him when he plays great eye for a pass and, and he's a player and I just hope that the physicality um, is something that comes quickly for him because I think he's got something that's that's pretty special anyway this podcast is about you thank you for joining us what brings you back to Manchester you've moved back now after what 17 18 years in America yeah I've lived in uh, San Diego for 17 years and um, had a good run at it over there um, just felt like Culturally, there was there was something missing. Um, I, I love. Is it not like Oddsall, where you're from, in Salford? <laughs> Oddsall by the sea. Um, yeah, um, just the culture was something that was was missing for me, and uh, I think our, our family all felt like there was some void for us in terms of the, being in the real world. Um, it's a beautiful place, San Diego, and the climate's obviously fantastic. Uh, but but in terms of, of culture and in terms of uh, of living a real life we felt like we wanted a little taste of a reality again so uh, I, I should year. tell listeners about your life your house was magnificent it had a swimming pool it had views over towards the Pacific I think um, and it, it was paradise in some ways but I can remember you telling me how much you missed the Salford humour of your mates and also funny stories about when your mates from Odsall used to come to San Diego and their heads were just battered by the whole you know taking pictures of the fridge because it was so big Uh, you know stand next to the fridge so I can take a picture just because it was the fridges and the freezers were massive and yeah it was we had a beautiful house and we've had a a good 17 years over there we had a lovely lifestyle Um, but you know I just got a little bit tired of the the people if I'm being honest and 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 the way of life over there it was very as you know, Andy, I've told you the story. is very litigious in terms of the way people live their lives, and um, you know, a lot of um, you always feel like you're, you're you're on your toes about being sued or, or getting 
involved in litigation because it seems to be the way of the world over there. And your wife had um, a dance school, you had a football school, you did a, did a lot of coaching over there. Great experience. But uh, coming from someone who's also away from Manchester a lot, even though I'm from it, you do miss... The, the humour is one thing when you're away from it. If I sit with my mates and they just slaughter me, yeah. and I think it's a very, I don't know, Mancunian British humour, and my wife's family, they just can't believe some yeah. of the things that, that they hear. That, it's just, but it's wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful, and it's, again, it, it's a cultural thing here that's sort of almost an acceptance that, that if you're going to put anything on that's a little bit dodgy to wear, you're going to get slaughtered for it. And one of the things that's really um, key to me at the moment is more than ever when I'm putting clothes on I'm, I'm not putting clothes on now because I feel like I like the clothes I'm putting clothes on in, in respect that what are people going to say and, and will they approve um, and, and it's all good stuff I mean over in, in I mean San Diego in particular Southern California the, the dress sense was anything goes I mean you could literally wear shorts and flip flops into a restaurant or you could dress up and no one would comment on your gear here it seems like you're, you're, you're seeking approval all the time and so whenever I put anything on I, I, now I ask my wife or the kids does this look alright what do you think is people not going to get slammed for this am I? which is again it's part of the culture here and part of the humour over there if you're sarcastic they don't get it no. it goes right no. over the head and they actually think sometimes they think you're being personal and you can joke <laughs> with them and you know you can make comment about the way they look their hair the clothes you know something they've said and, and they'll often take it personally unless you say it was, it was a joke I was joking so yeah, the, 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 there's a, uh, definitely the detached in that way uh, over there in terms of the humour. But here, I've watched more. Well, I've watched a lot of football in San Diego, but I've watched a lot of football since I come back in in the pubs because I love that. I love the atmosphere and the there's something special about watching a game in the pub um, because it's just real, you know. And I'm really, I, I don't just watch the game. I listen to people's comments. I watch people's expressions. I laugh at some of the stupid things that people say who, who think they know the game, but. But, but give them credit that the, the, the football fans here know the game intimately they don't in America they, they're so even the commentators I laugh sometimes at some of the, the comments that they make because to me it's it's not um, you know they're not they're not either educated enough or they're not savvy enough about the game to make accurate uh, assessments and comments on stuff going on you know he makes glad to have you back and what did he say when you went in the first place I remember I moved to London for a year in the treble season and my mate's like what the fuck are you doing that for? I said, well, I want to live in London for one year. I want to visit all of these sites. I, want, I, I made a list. Yeah, but you won't come back. And then within me two weeks of being there, this, this spreads false rumours around that I was roller skating around North London, <laughs> wearing Cockney trainers and associating with what they call Cockney media wankers. And, and I'd bought pants like Beckham. It wasn't even true. You know, yeah, but it's just no, their way of slaughtering yeah, you. slaughtering you, yeah. No, every time I've been back, um, they've always slagged me off for the accent. Uh, I try and revert straight away back into my me, me Salfordian twang, but you know, I had the tendency to my sentences would go up at the end when you talk because that's a Californian sort of um, dialect, and so I got slammed for that. And then some of the words that I would use, um, you know, obviously the obvious ones, trash and um, you know, freeway and stuff like that, and they would slip in sometimes into conversation, and then I'd get slammed for, you know, um, for, for for not for, for getting where I'm from, um, and so yeah, this time I think I've, I think I've, I've I almost said think then because I was trying to slip back into it, but I, I actually think that I've assimilated better this time because I know I have to because I'm back, 
and I'm living back here, so I don't want to give them a reason to, to be taking the piss, you know. So Salford, where you're from, well, they've got a team of their own now, the top of the, the National League. They're probably going to become a football league team. You managed at Salford City. It's changed a lot since you were there when average crowds were 140 and more lane. Yeah, and that was mainly, that was staff and, and players included in 140. It's a fantastic story, isn't it? I, yeah. I went back last week to watch the game, they won 3-0 um, at, at the Peninsula Stadium, as it's called. I almost called it Moor Lane then, but it is on Moor Lane, as you know. Um, a brilliant story, and, and I'm really pleased for them. I managed them twice um, at different stages uh, on a shoestring, a little shoestring of a budget there. But... It's always a good club, though. Oh, it's, it, it's... I love going there. I watched yeah. my dad play there, and there were old people, Dave Russell. Yeah, um, Dave's still there, yeah. Quickie. Yeah, Darren um, Quick, yeah, played with Darren. You know, they were good, lovely football people. Do you know what I used to do in the mid-90s um, and noughties? A mate of mine was an agent, and if he had players coming into clubs around Manchester, I'll give you one example, Aaron McQuenna. Captain of South Africa, would have been very easy for him to be getting with the glamorous crowd in Manchester. Earning a lot of money, played for Blackburn Rovers with Benny McCarthy. Yeah. The agent just said... You and your brother show them a real side of Manchester. So I took them to Salford City and Aaron turns up in this big flash whatever car. Took him inside, got him pie, peas and gravy. Yeah, and he loved it. Yeah. And you know what? No one recognised him because you wouldn't really recognise a Blackburn Rovers player who right. just arrived. Yeah. I said this lad here is the uh, captain of South Africa. They were buzzing now. And it was just, a, a, I, I enjoyed it. I liked seeing his reaction to it. He enjoyed it. But it was always a good club. They wore orange, the Amis, yeah. up above Curzon Moor, didn't they? And you grew up in that environment, a little bit lower down in Odsall. And then, is it right that you, when you made your Manchester United debut, you walked to Old Trafford, or got you got the, the bus, bus? Got the 58 bus. So what year Trafford was this? Bar. That'd have been in 1983. You got the bus to Trafford Bar. Got the bus, the 58, to Trafford Bar, and walked down. Um, across the forecourt with me I, I remember my boots were in a plastic bag because I was a young lad at the time Billy's boots yeah I had my boots um, I also remember the, I was sat in the bus and on the back of the evening news some fella had the evening news and it said I think it said Billy the Kid makes his debut something like that um, and I'm sat there with some of the you know the fans the punters going to the game I walked across the forecourt we had a pre-match meal and walked into the into the ground you know it was um, I look back on that now it's pretty surreal sort of experience but that's the way it was though in those days you know I didn't have a car at that time I wasn't driving um, wasn't making a lot of money um, but but that was the reality of it you know it was in the first team in that first team that you played with um, Mark Hughes would have been coming through and he played he scored I played it was against Burnley in the League Cup yeah. um, and Sparky scored a hat-trick I think um, I want to say it might have been Kevin or Paul McGrath would have been in the team and then Robbo, it was that era with Robbo and Arthur Alberston, um, Frank Stapleton, um, Gordon Strachan, it was Jesper Olsen. It was that, that era, you know, when I was just coming An through. email from Jesper last week. Really? Not heard from him for 20 years. Yeah. He's living in Melbourne. The greatest five-a-side player you'll ever meet. Right. Oh, he was brilliant in, in five-a-side, just couldn't get the ball off him. You know, that he had that he was slippery, wasn't he, when he moved. Brilliant player, Jesper. Great first touch and, yeah, great player. And then you establish yourself in the team. I'd imagine it wasn't long before you got a car and lots of attention. <laughs> How did your life I change? Bought a car. <laughs> I bought a Ford Escort. Um, 
I think it was a, 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 like the Mexico, it was like a, a, a sporty type one. And I did a stupid thing. I, I actually painted the wheels red and I painted them myself. The inside of the alloy is red. Just telling you this because it's funny. So the car was red and it had these red wheels, obviously with the black tyre. I thought it looked pretty catchy, but remember Gordon Strachan used to call me the devil. He said, here's the devil, because I come in the red, this red car. <laughs> it looked like the fucking devil um, coming in. And so I thought I was being cool and then that, that brought me down a peg or two. Um, yeah, and that was my first car. And then after that, got signed my first pro contract and got a club car, you know, got a... Actually got a convertible, which was again stupid in Salford. Yeah, stayed right. living in Odsall. Uh, I lived in Odsall for a little bit, then I moved out over into the Eccles area. Yeah, um, bought a place over in in Monton area there in Eccles. Yeah, yeah. And your mates in, in Salford, they must have been buzzing. Eddie Coleman came from your estate, didn't he? You know, one of the things I want to do, Andy, I want to try and find this out, and you, you might be a good resource to help. But I'd love to know who lived. Which player that played in the first team lived the closest to Old Trafford? Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying it was me, but, yeah. I, but I've got to be in the frame. Yeah. Because I literally lived where I lived on Odsall, and people used to park in our street to, to go to the game. I'd love to know, I'm sure these people lived closer. Lived, not, not guys that were in digs, by the way, yeah. but people that were... Because I was just going to say then, there used to be digs off Warwick Road North. Correct, I remember that. Duncan yeah. Edwards lived in them, for example. But you can't really... You grew up... Yeah. Unless we've car got minding. a lad who grew up in yeah, car minding. You did minded didn't you? car, yeah. You used How to much? Say, what was the going rate? Fifty p, twenty p. Did you actually mind the cars? You run. You'd, you'd, as soon as they'd go, you'd run to the game. Yeah. And then you'd leg it back after the game, and you'd be there waiting for them because it was that. I mean, literally, it was probably a mile away, wasn't it, from yeah. where I lived? And you'd be stood there when they got back. It's a great. And it's a great sit, one yeah. to try and find out which United player grew up closest to Old Trafford. I yeah. suppose because the areas around Old Trafford aren't all residential. There'd be Gorsell sure. in Stratford. Right. Um, and Odsall they're, they're basically you, you, you two and then Furswood over towards yeah. um, I mean Odsall stretched down probably towards the dock yeah. area there I'm, I'm assuming there might have been somebody that, that yeah. lived in that area but I mean Eddie Coleman lived close to where I was lived yeah. on Odsall in that who area who lived closer you or Eddie to the ground that's a good question because those houses were gone when right. they built Odsall it was a new estate but I don't know exactly where his house was situated I know the school Odsall Odsall board which was where he went to school so but I'd love to it's, a, it's just one of those curious facts for me you know I'm obviously proud of being a Salford lad played <coughs> for the club but you know I do tell people I lived that close and they laugh at me you know as though like no you didn't but I did I lived I knew I, I you know you'd hear if you didn't go to the game you knew when they scored because yeah. you'd hear the roar you know um, I could hear the roar in Stratford yeah on my paper round just brilliant, a brilliant brilliant feeling yeah. yeah I mean especially night games it was you know there was, it was something magical about you know seeing the floodlights and then you'd hear the roar and you'd know United had scored you know so you're in the first team life's just fantastic what's it like as a young Manchester United player do you get female attention do you get male attention <laughs> yeah. you, get, you get all <laughs> sorts of attention times. yeah for good and for bad yeah um, yeah obviously I mean it was a, a brilliant uh, experience and a brilliant feeling um, Gary Bailey told me he went from being a spotty outsider to whoa you're a good looking guy and Gary said suddenly I'm thinking you know what I probably am the best looking guy in this country at the moment <laughs> just because of this of the stature. Yeah. yeah. no it's true um, I mean just to tell people you play United obviously even when you're not in the first team is, is um, gives you some kudos but when you get in the first team it does elevate you to another level you know and um, I loved all that. I mean, I've been I've been telling you lies if I said I didn't love it. It was a fantastic um, experience to be sort of famous um, 
and be a footballer and be you know be in great shape you know fit and healthy and vibrant uh, yeah and, and going out in town was special as well because you're getting everywhere with your player pass or where did you go to <clears throat> now you now you're testing me uh, initially it was Pips uh, a nightclub in town Pips and then uh, there was another club called Brewbakers remember Brewbakers um, and Saturdays um, on Portland Street I think yeah. that was wasn't it yeah um, and then these are not the highest class <laughs> establishments in Manchester were they then at, at the time they probably they were, were. Yeah, okay yeah it was yeah they were massive clubs you remember how big yeah. clubs used yeah, to be yeah, yeah. Uh, placemates seven there was one yeah and just great days yeah going out with the lads obviously was going out after games and in midweek with a lot of the lads that you played with and, and trained with was fantastic you know it's great great memories for sure what is your highlight as a Manchester United player your debut obviously to, to me is, is always a special one it was a blur um, and, and still is a little bit of a blur to me because I was nervous in a good way um, I, I think I, I did pretty well in the, in the debut we won 4-0 and I think I played pretty well um, played against City twice which again you know growing up as a Manchester lad a Salford lad playing in a Manchester derby was, was obviously brilliant what as well uh, we won both games 1-0 yeah. yeah, one was in the cup and one was in the league yeah, yeah. Um, 86-87 yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. time yeah um, playing yeah playing against you know the likes of Arsenal's and um, Tottenham's and City and all you know get, playing against the big clubs that and just going there as a player going as a player in the dressing rooms at Highbury unbelievable like just even I mean I told you I was, yesterday I was at a lunch with some of the former players I'm still in awe of some of the people I was with Peter Barnes and um, and Viv Anderson and, uh, and Robbo or Brian Robson obviously and I'm, I'm I was just a fa- I'm just a fan that, that like played for United you know and, a fan and who was good at football who was good at football and that even yesterday I told Barnsley like I said you were good you know you were really I mean Peter Barnes was a good player winger brilliant played player played for City played for and City United. United and went back to City I forgot that he went back do you know where else he played he went, Real Betis he went to Real Betis I know he played for Leeds and Coventry and West Brom and England I mean what a, and a great player so yeah, so in, in terms of me, I feel like I was just, I was a fan that, that still, I'm a fan, I love the club, um, it, it pains me when things are not going well, and I get more pleasure out of, of anything uh, when I see them doing well and winning. You were unlucky with injuries and illness. Yeah. That curtailed your career. It did. Um, and I, even now I can't put my finger on you know whether I could have done anything different you know um, but I had, I had I was talking about yesterday with some of the lads like I had the illness ME which again had the, the nickname Yuppie Flu at the time um, I mean, how can you have the fucking Yuppie Flu when you're from Salford you know from Odsall with, so, with, with, with the Cabriolet yeah. um, that must have been a harsh environment to be oh, it was terrible in. yeah it was because they I, had real problems but yeah. then you were also ill I know but you didn't look ill that yeah. was the thing with this thing you know I didn't I didn't feel great and I couldn't train because it was, it was sort of a debilitating type of an illness it drains your energy you know so I'd, I'd often go and try and train or, or get going again and you just it just made you feel shit you know but to try and justify to people because they'd look at you and go well you don't look ill I always said that like you almost would have been better having like a, a cast on your foot or something or been on crutches because people would have maybe given you you know a bit more empathy um, not that I was looking for empathy but but to, to actually look at you, it, 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 you and I know I didn't look ill people would be sort of you know, questioning whether you were just swinging the lead, you know, but, but why would you do that when you're a, you know, you're, you're a, a local boy playing for your local club and, and you're loving every minute of being there, you know. So, yeah, so it was a, it, to me, it was, a, it was a sad end and to me, to me, time at United because I would have, I, I don't know whether I would have done much more at United anyway, because um, being honest about it, I was, I was a good player, 
but I maybe not have been better than some of the players that I was competing against. Like maybe well, Big Paul was Paul yeah. McGrath was magnificent. I mean, I don't think people even now <coughs> will appreciate how good he was. And then you know, Brucey was coming. Steve Bruce came in, and Pally came. They came. They were the next two big. Uh, you know the central defensive partnership so I would have been competing against those two and they obviously went on to do fantastic things so you know being honest I probably would have ended up moving on somewhere but um, you know my biggest regret is not like having a longer career you know and, and you maybe you played for Birmingham City didn't you on loan did well there I did really well there it was actually a good move at the time because I went there and did really well Birmingham were in like the bottom three they were struggling um, but I think I played six or seven games for them and and we, we, we had a couple of really good results. We beat Villa at Villa Park, which is a massive Birmingham, you know, Birmingham derby. 3-0 we beat them, which was unheard of. I played Andy Gray was centre forward for, for Villa at the time. Um, and I had a great game against him. And, and I remember Brian Whitehouse and I think Eric Harrison had come to watch. So they reported back. Um, Brian was the old reserve team manager. Passed yeah, away earlier Passed last away year. last year. I saw that. That was sad. And Eric Harrison, obviously, yeah. like legendary in terms of but we were his. I was thinking that we were his first group, Eric's group, when he first came in. Yeah. So you, Norman, me, Norman, Sparky, Sparky Graham, Og, Clayton. Um, and was he tough? Oh yeah, he was tough. Really tough. Nutcase. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was. He was an angry. Uh, maybe that was his. Well, it was his style. I'm sure he mellowed as time got on. But he can grab you by the scruff of the neck. And I remember him once getting me by the scruff of the fucking throat and, and get you know, almost headbutting me. You know, just because I questioned something in training. He caught me looking down at the first team at the cliff on the called it Wembley, the little elevated part, because uh, it was the nicest part of the, of the of the training area. And I was looking down. He caught me looking down at the first team, not focusing on what he was saying. And he fucking grabbed me, and he actually made me march down to Big Ron was the, the manager. Made me march down and 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 tell Big Ron that Eric sent me down because I was looking at the training when I was just fucking dreaming of being there with the first team, you know, probably. Yeah. But Eric was tough, yeah. He'd fucking shout and swear and threaten you and bully you and, you know, he, but for the right reason, I'm sure for the right reasons. I was talking yesterday with some of the lads about how the methods, those methods are, are, are life-changing methods, although maybe they'd be perceived as, like, prehistoric now. Yeah. But, but those methods um, shaped you as a person and prepared you for what was coming. I'm, I'm not sure some of the training methods you could get away with it now but definitely the attitude that they had towards the players was was a tough environment you know it was a tough environment to be you know but it, 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 it shame you into stuff Eric you know I played against Norman was a centre Norman Whiteside a centre forward I was a centre half Norman was a fucking thug I mean he was a thug a great lad and he's a friend but when you trained he'd fucking he'd elbow you he'd fucking snap you in, with a tackle he'd bully you you know and if you were if you perceived to be Week, Eric would call you out on it in front of everyone. You know he's fucking done you in the air again. You fucking shit house garden. You're fucking never gonna be a player till you broke your nose, had stitches in your head. You're too fucking. You're a poser. He would, he'd shame you into stuff. You know. And I, I remember sometimes like getting like intimidated to the point where you felt like you were fighting back tears. You know, tears of anger, like because he would he would fucking shame you in front of your your, your peers. You know, and it's maybe bullying in a way, but. But it, it, it definitely shaped me for, for you know what was what was to come. You came through a really good age group, didn't you? Because people a, say the class of '92, Skulls didn't even this. play. Phil Neville wasn't even part of the class of '92. 
you've Mark Hughes, Norman Whiteside, who Brian McClare thinks is the most intelligent footballer, by the way. Norman, who, Norman. Norman, I wouldn't argue with that. Norman, Norman was, was fantastic. Norman listens to these, and when he is, he usually retweets it when he when he when there's a nice praise of, of Norman. But he's a very bright bloke, Norman. If yeah, you talk to Norman about the political situation in Northern Ireland, you know, he's a very yeah. very bright man. Right. And, and that's a guy that probably didn't have the greatest education, you know. No, no, when, no. I, I remember when we were, were apprentices at United, we had a choice. Well, we had to go and do a, a day at school. And I went with Mark Hughes and we were doing a B-Tech. Yeah. Because uh, Mark Sparky was a, a, a bright lad, academically bright. I, I was reasonably academically bright. Probably got, I think, got six O-levels from Odsalai, which yeah, is pretty good. good. That might be a record. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember Norman doing a painting and decorating course because yeah. that was part of You had to do something. Yeah. Norman and a few of the other lads did more like the, you know, a practical course as opposed to doing one that was, was an academic course. Um, but absolutely, Norman, uh, a very sharp brain yeah. and a fantastic football brain as well. Um, painter and decorator? I don't know that he's doing. Don't he, he, my dad was a painter as well, which yeah. was funny because I always laughed about that. Norman doing the painting and decorating course, but Norman would be if you because I played with some. I mean, I wasn't a fantastic player, but I played with some fantastic players. I mean, legends. I mean, really top How class. Many Norman would be up there. He'd be in the top three. Yeah, brilliant player. And yeah. his injuries just didn't. Yeah, yeah. But he was brilliant. I can't think of a youth group that produced quite so many players. Well, we got to the Youth Cup final. Yeah. We lost to Watford in a, a, a game that I think Ron Atkinson said was the greatest two-legged game he'd seen. We lost 7-6, I think. Um, I scored a fucking own goal in, in the final. Did Watford was... have any great players who went on to... Well, Barn, John Barnes was, okay. was so in was the frame brilliant. for them. Yeah. And then um, at a centre-forward who was tough to do, Jimmy Gilligan, I think right. his name was, okay. played in the lower leagues. A, a winger called Worrell Sterling, Sterling right. played in the first team for them. Yeah, they typical Watford team. You know, yeah. they just dug out a, a result, and but they were good. They were a good yeah. team. Graham Taylor would have been yeah. the manager for them at the time. Um, but yeah, we had we had a great youth team. We had a great youth team, a good running in it. And myself, uh, Mark Dempsey played. Yeah, uh, played in the first team. Andy Hill, who don't yeah. think played at United first team, but went across and played for City yeah. and had a, a good career. Really, uh, Clayton, Oggy, Sparky, Norman. Um, we had we had some players, a lot of yeah, players who played more than fifty games for the it, first team for the first not team. just six or seven games. Correct. Graham Ogg was a star against Barcelona, I, if I, I remember I, rightly. I watched a bit of that game the other day, and yeah. I, I, just by chance on YouTube, I was flicking through, and I saw that game. I fucking couldn't believe. It. I, I also didn't remember remember that he played in the FA Cup semi final against um, Liverpool. Was it Liverpool? Would be eighty three. I think it was Arsenal. Or eighty-five against Liverpool. Yeah, in the, in the, in the replay. Well, yeah. it was a replay, wasn't it? Yeah. It was two. Robson, Rob, Robbo yeah. scored a great ball. Yeah, and Sparky scored the winner in that yeah. game. But I didn't realise that Oggy had played. Yeah, Oggy was was a, a, another a, just a, a really honest player. You know, I him on yeah. here. I think he lives up Aberdeen way. Yeah, I'm going to go to Hearts Hibs later on this month, so I might. Uh, well, I'll say Graham Oggy if you're listening. Let's yeah. meet. He let's was, meet up. Yeah, great, great lad, Oggy as well. Good and lad. then. You had some pretty rough moments, didn't you? As your career unwound, you were still in your late twenties. You, you were in some pretty dark places. Yeah, um, I was very uh, like to try to overcome something that you know you had no control over, and knowing that the clock was ticking on your career, basically. Certainly, you mean me United career. I didn't know what was to come down the line after that. But yeah, the, the, my contract was was gradually coming to an end, and I, I knew that if I didn't get back at it, then it was. You know, it was going to be over for me. So, 
I was in, yeah, I was in a, a bad place, yeah. I, I, I do remember having suicidal thoughts. I, I really do. It was, it was a very, I'm sure, I'm sure I was depressed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I was ever diagnosed as being, having a clinical Did you get depression. any help? I, di- I didn't, no, no. I, I remember um, the medical staff at the club, Jim McGregor was, was, was very understanding of the situation. He was the physio at the time. Medical staff didn't really know what to do. I don't think anyone really had a handle on what what it was about. You know, on even, mental illness. Well, yeah. well, the in, the illness that I had, yeah, the the the, the sickness that I had, um, the ME. Nobody understood that, and then nobody understood the consequences of having something like that. Um, and so, even the people, the specialists that I was going to see to try and find what was going on with me, I don't think anyone suggested like, "Hey, how are you feeling?" Like, how do you feel? Like, outside of the illness, what's your what's your mind? You know, what's your mindset and what's your, your frame of mind? But I do feel, looking back on it, I was I was in a, a state of depression. Yeah. What was your lowest point? I remember driving to the cliff one day, thinking I'm gonna fucking drive my car into a, a concrete fucking barrier or something. I remember really? thinking, yeah, I do. I remember it. Really? Yeah. That very. Bad. Yeah, bad because I, I was embarrassed going to training. Embarrassed going in because it's going to be the same questions every day. Like, how are you feeling? When you're coming back? When you're coming back? You look great. I'm sure, you can't get through it, you know. And it was, it was, I was fucking sick of the same questions and the same scenario. You go in, and you'd feel like you feel like you were cheating it, you know. You were cheating going into work, but you can't do anything, you know. Um, it was horrible. Yeah, horrible. And then what happened post football? You played a bit of. Semi-pro football, didn't you? I did. The Play illness, the illness tapered off after about, yeah, about two or three years. It, 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 I felt a little bit better, and then I started. I went to Winsford, yeah. Yeah. Um, and my, the Alex Ferguson had come into the club, hadn't he? Correct. United. Yeah. The first, I, I, I was there when he arrived. Obviously, yeah. I was there for the first three years yeah. of Fergie's reign. You know. Um, what was your relationship like with him? Now. Well, then. Uh, yeah, a typical. I think a typical player-manager relationship. Right. You know, I don't. I think everybody, you know, even recently now when you look at the things going on with, with the manager and, and some of the, the players, like that thing with Pogba last week where the manager and him were caught on camera like having a little, that's a fucking everyday occurrence. That, that must have happened every day this week in every club somewhere, the manager and a player having a little like disagreement over something. But that to me is what life was like as a player, you know, had me ups and downs with Fergie for the, for the obvious reasons. Like sometimes I thought I should have been playing. He probably maybe you know had a different take on it um you know i wasn't always a you know uh the model professional you know he called me out a couple of times on you know stuff that i'd done and you know what like just well i think it's legend you know that that, that the gaffer had you know spies all over manchester where were were you caught billy i was i remember one time having a, a late night with my mate um come back to i had a little a little flat in uh in monton in Eccles and we'd had a really late night and I, and I actually I walked to the car with no clothes on which is fucking stupid in my parking lot I wanted to go in the parking uh, where me in the car park called it a parking lot then Americanism again um, I went to the car to get a tape a, a music cassette with no clothes on and the neighbour saw me it must have been like 12 1 in the morning my mate was upstairs we were going to put music on we were drunk and the neighbour reported me the following day called the club so I goes in to training and he calls me in the office to gaffer. Um, <laughs> and I remember this is how stupid it was. I had one slipper on and it was one of those big like claw bare furry things. I don't know why I had one fucking 
and and the gaffer the, they must have told me that they must have told the gaffer that I'd, I only had one slipper on you know so when I walked into his office he said where's the other slipper and I knew right away that he fucking banged banged to rights you know and well, I went genius don't know what management you, that what, I don't know I that. said you know what you're talking about he went and I tried to argue that it was my mate not me and he told me like you know someone saw you and you, you reported you you bring in you know you know, bad reputation for the club and and that you know, was probably the start of it all for him he was obviously had he had his you know he had his the, the claws out for the, the drinking culture and, yeah. and he was trying to change the culture of the club and he, and he eventually did obviously um, but yeah caught me bang to right so I had my run-ins with Fergie and what tape was it? what tape was it? <laughs> I think it was squeeze I think <laughs> I was looking for a squeeze tape he loved squeeze yeah. so yeah but it was just caught me red-handed Find me, I think, two weeks' wages. I tried to argue it with. I got the PFA involved, but there was no. How much was two weeks' wages? Oh, it wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't a lot of money for me. Was then. you into four figures yeah. on a weekly wage? Probably no. Probably was. I don't know. Maybe a weekly wage might have been five or six hundred for me at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And the top earner at that point would have been on about two and a half grand. Would have been Robbo, would yeah. it? Someone like that, I would have thought. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I was. You know, I was down the totem pole in terms of, of being paid, but you know, I'd have played for fucking now. You know, you played for United, I mean, it's fucking brilliant, isn't it? You had a testimonial game, unfortunately, it wasn't at Old Trafford, it was yeah. at the Willows, wasn't it? I think yeah, four and a half thousand people. Turned yeah, up terrible day as well. The Willows, where Salford yeah. Rugby League play, it was a bad day. Bad day, yeah, very, yeah, no, I don't have fond memories of that to be honest. It was pouring down with rain. Um, you know, I was, I was a bit bitter that I wasn't allowed to have it at Old Trafford. Yeah. I still don't really know the reason. Um, I think Robbo's testimonial year was the same year. That, that I think the claim was maybe that they've already, you know, they're already doing something, a testimonial, they don't want to do another one. But I always felt like my, my deal was a little, probably a legitimate reason to have a testimonial, yeah. more than maybe others. I mean, again, not sounding selfish there, but, you know, if, you, if you're retiring from the game... Um, and you don't know what the future holds in terms of finances, then to me they're the they're the real reasons for testimonials, you know. Um, but anyway, I, I mean, you know, credit to the manager Fergie brought a team down, um, which was great. A lot of you know the players that showed up, I'm, I'm appreciative to them for showing up. But it was a horrible day, pouring with rain. Maybe mud, maybe may, might, may have doubled the crowd if there had been a better day. It was just a shit day, you know, all round. And it was again, I look back on that, and that was depressing for me. You know, it wasn't like a, a celebration. Funeral. It was like that, Andy. It was like being at a fucking funeral. Like being at your own your funeral. Own. Looking in on your own funeral. Yeah. It and was people a, were paying tributes to you and you're still couldn't how get old are you? Couldn't get happy. Yeah. I was twenty six, I think, at the yeah. time. Couldn't be happy about it. I have got a photo I've got photos from the day. One in particular with Fergie and I've got a fucking right scowl on my face. A Salford scowl. Salford scowl, because I was pissed. I was it wasn't a celebration, it wasn't a happy day. And I felt like a I don't. I felt like I'd been shafted a little bit, you know. Not not in any way with to blame um, Fergie in any capacity, but I felt like the club had shafted me a little bit. And then, bit of non-league, Winsford, Salford. Yeah, um, Witten Albion. It was Witten Albion. Witten Albion uh, was where I went first. One of the um, two teams from Northwich for our listeners yeah. outside of played for <laughs> Witten Albion, um, and then I went after that. I went as player coach with uh, Mike McKenzie to Hyde United 
Mike McKenzie, local legendary non-league figure yeah, in Manchester, lad, yeah. from Moss Side, if I'm not mistaken, Correct. ran a team called Astro, he did. which was largely comprised of lads from the Afro-Caribbean community in the Correct. 80s. I just said Northwich have two teams, they've got three, sorry to anyone in Northwich, 1878, Victoria <laughs> and Witten Albion. Correct. Um, so played at Hyde, had some, some of the best days of my me, of me football life playing non-league, brilliant times loved being at Hyde had the the funnest time I almost felt like I got my mojo back yeah. um, although obviously it's at a lower level um, why the characters characters the, players, the trips the the, yeah the journeys getting on the, the coach and you know the the, the lads travelling up the length and breadth of the country for fucking peanuts you know for the love, for of, the it. love of it and but the but laugh you have had the laugh and the fun the and the the crack that you'd have on the way to games, after games, the camaraderie that you, you built, obviously you had that, but being a, a, a pro as well, but just the camaraderie, because the camaraderie was born just purely out of friendship, rather than I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm being, you know, I'm here as a, as a pro. It was more out of friendship for the, for the players that you played with. Um, and I loved it, every minute of it. I loved my days at Salford. I managed, as you know, Salford twice, Salford City twice in those days. Um, and I had a, a great time there as well. Got fond memories of um, of some of the the trips and the games and some of the, the pranks that went on. What and sort I played of with some characters. Because oh, I, I, I like to follow Trafford quite a lot. They're a great little non-league club. And there was a lad from Salford came called Mark Molyneux. Oh, that, that was my next story. Right, Mark Molyneux. Goalie. Goalkeeper. My God. Crazy. First first game at Salford is one because right. I knew Molly. Grew up with him from Odsall. Right. I've known him all so my life. So he's an Odsall lad. lad. All right. his family. He still chats my mum up now. Mad City fan. Yeah. Um, probably loving it at the moment because yeah. in those days they were shite, weren't they, City? Yeah. So, but I remember my first game. I had a meeting with the players on at Salford. First training session on the Thursday. So I'm changing the culture. Everybody collar and tie for the game. No problem. A bit a few whine but moaning about why collar and tie. That's the deal. Game day. Home games collar and tie. So goes into the clubhouse on the first Saturday for the first home game. All the boys are sat there having a cup of tea in the little porter cabin there that it was, the yeah. clubhouse. They're all sat around and I'll take a quick look in. Yeah, it all looks good. They've all listened to me. Molly stands up. He's got just a collar and a tie and nothing else on. He's naked. He's cut the collar off his shirt and just a tie. He's boll bollocked naked. Walks like, hey Gaffer, how are you? Brilliant, like, you know, just took me literally just a collar and tie. But he had some of the things he did. I remember one game, I looked at the goal and he's not in the fucking goal. He stood in the stand with the fans. The ball's down the other end. He starts waving to me. He's fucking in with the fans at the behind the goal. Like, and then the ball starts coming up the field and he jumps over the fence and gets back in goal. He'd drive you crazy, Molly. Always, he, like, just always a scam and a, a, a prank going on with him. He was my brother's manager at Trafford and uh, he's, a, he's an hard lad, wasn't he? Yeah, now, yeah. I watched an away game at Ghoul in the FA Cup and a Ghoul fan thought it'd be funny to abuse the Trafford manager who was Molly and make some really below the belt comments and Molly didn't ignore them he jumped over the barrier and he fronted this lad and he absolutely shit, shit himself. himself another person who may or <coughs> may not have been Molly when he had a, a big time player who was a little bit too cocksure and felt he should have been at a higher level he was offered a butty on the way to an away game, which comprised of human excrement, cucumber, <laughs> some form of mayonnaise. <laughs> I think he took a bite out of it. Oh. I also think that 
Arthur Albiston came across Molly at somewhere. It may have been Chester. I've heard this story. It was and in Droylsden, I think. Droylsden. It yeah. was at Droylsden. Yeah. Put his suit on, right? Put yeah. Arthur's suit he on. He put Arthur's suit on. And went in the clubhouse. And Arthur <laughs> come out of the shower. There's no clothes left for him. And Molly's got his gear. The suit. Molly's like six foot plus, isn't it? But and yeah, Arthur, it, he had Arthur's underpants he had everything on, on. on the outside, the outside of his, of his suit. suit. So, Arthur Albiston, Scottish international, played for Manchester United. And someone's not only stolen his underpants, but the way they were in, in the clubhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny. But, oh, I mean, I'm sure lads can tell a million stories about Molly, but he was absolutely a character. And can I just tell you one more about Molly? The last time I saw something about him was uh, Manchester Evening News. The plan is to put the Metrolink and plough it right through Charlton. And Molly had a, I think he had a window company. Glass, yeah. Glass. glass right. And it was going to go right through his yard. So the Evening News sent reporters out and basically said, you must be appalled, you're going to lose your business. And every single person said, yeah, I'm, I'm appalled, I'm appalled. This shouldn't happen, I want compensation. And Molly not only gave a false name, the false name he gave to the Evening News was England Hardyman. <laughs> He said he was absolutely <laughs> delighted because it would improve the connectivity for the people of Greater Manchester. <laughs> so you're, you're going to lose your business. He said, that's a price worth paying. And I remember reading that on an away trip to Norwich. I, I just crying with laughter. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was just a, a piss take. Well, there was a picture of him, England Hardy man, smiling, surrounded by like 12 other businessmen, scowling with the compensation faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the world is a better place for people like Molly. <laughs> No, the guy, yeah, the, the guy was a nutcase. I mean, he was a nutcase. But fun, I mean, that's the type of stuff that I said, like the non-league scene brings characters like that. I mean, he did, it, it did compromise your authority at times <laughs> as a manager, you know, when you've got a player like that because well, he's wearing everything, no clothes everything was a piss take, yeah. You know, you'd be stood there sometimes and the next you'd feel all warm, and piss, it'd be pee, pissing on your leg, you know, in the, in the changing room. Just peeing on your leg, like, and you'd be like, fucking that, like... But a nutcase, but but again, the characters of, of non-league football, you know. Um, yeah, I had happy days in the non-league scene, it was great. And now you're back in Manchester, what are you planning on doing back in Manchester and, and So yeah, been, you've been away for 17 years and back, um, you know, uh, I've, I've been running international trips from uh, the US to, to England uh, for the last seven years, um, bringing kids and families across, putting on a like a football tour and that's something that I'm going to continue with and and I'm going to try and piece together some other bits that still obviously want to be involved in the game it's it's literally all I know and, and I think what I'm good at um, you know I've spent my whole life involved in football and um, playing and coaching um, 17 years I've probably coached oh, well, 3,000 games plus you know you, you, you coach a lot of games over in the States because you're running more than one team so yeah, I think I've got something to offer still in terms of knowledge of the of the game, and and I want to channel my energies back into you know getting going again here and, and 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 continuing to work you know in football. And football in the United States, I see as an outsider. Well, I see Wayne Rooney doing very well for one. Uh, MLS seems to be a success story. Crowds are going up. Soccer specific stadiums are being built. They're getting some really impressive attendances. It seems to me, whereas in England and Europe and around the world, footballers come out of the working class. In America, footballers are coming out of the middle class because they're the only ones who can afford to be taken to have the coaching classes, the sort of soccer mum culture. Pay to play model. Pay to play right? model. Yeah, Is that that's fair? what they're calling it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I see that. It's definitely getting traction at okay. the moment. I think it's 
stuttered along for a number of years. I think it's had moments where everyone felt like it was it was going to kick on, uh, and then it sort of flatlined again. And, and you know, them not making the World Cup last time round was a massive um, disappointment, and I think that hurt the game. But but you're right, the pay-to-play model is being questioned um, as to whether it's uh, being detrimental to the game over there because uh, there's a feeling or a theory that maybe some good talent is being denied the opportunity because they're not in a position to pay for um, for the, the, the top level coaching I think that's changing now um, I think there's a big push uh, in the hierarchy over there to to make sure that they source uh, all the best talent and get them in the right areas and in the right places so that they can nurture that talent but um, I, I do see it I see the, the MLS is great is gaining you know momentum um, I still question the likes. I mean, I love Zlatan going over and, and Rooney's obviously doing fantastic. I do question, though, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the league, having these guys come over in the in the sort of the twilight of the career and they perceive it over there as, like, kudos to yeah. the league yeah. and I perceive it as detrimental because I think you're almost missing the reason they're coming. They're coming in the latter stages of the career because they're looking for maybe I'm not going to say the final payday because that's the biggest cliche out there but they're coming because they want to enjoy maybe the last few years of the career in a nice place in a beautiful place and have an experience in a in a great country uh, to me the, the, you can't claim that the game over there and the league is really making progress until you start bringing in people who are in their prime when they come over from the rest of the world because a lot of the players that are coming from other parts of the world to America are coming, as I said, in the twilight of the career, and that to me doesn't doesn't give me a sense that that there's a great lot of respect for the league. That what about sense. players coming out through America? Because six or seven years ago, a friend of mine went to Philadelphia on a tip-off of a young American player from a pretty working-class background right. called Christian Pulisic. He signed him up. He became his agent. And he felt that his development would be better outside of the United States. So he brought him to Borussia Dortmund. So I met Christian's dad when he was 15 and I was hearing good things about him. 16, 17, suddenly breaks into Dortmund's first team and is the real deal. He's a good player, yeah. He's he's really doing it. And I think last time I spoke to you, one of your mates was an agent of another um, Dortmund player, the defender, Subi. Um, uh, Subitic. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's a great point, that. that I think the, the challenge uh, that the States are going to have is... I know when Klinsman was the, the, the manager of the national team, he was, oh, he was, he was pushing players to play outside of yeah. the MLS because yeah. he felt like it would be better for their development. And ultimately, the, the highest standard that they played in would benefit him as the national team manager. Yeah. And the MLS were, were not too happy with that, I'm, I'm led to believe, that they were pushing for their players to return to the MLS and play. Ultimately, a lot of those players did return. Yeah. Your Michael Bradleys, um, your Clint Dempsey's. They came back to, to the MLS. And I wonder whether there's any link between them not qualifying for the World Cup yeah. as a result of all their players, majority of the players anyway, coming back and playing in the MLS. So the Pulisic thing is an interesting one because Klinsman's view that you go and play in the better leagues out in Europe will help your development. He's probably a great example of that. Not only is he a, 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 a great potential uh, good player for them but he's, he looks like he's potentially going to be 
maybe the best player they've ever produced. Yeah, the, the, the Pulisic thing looks like he's going to probably be their, their greatest ever player. And it seems to me that that coincides in some ways with what Klinsmann was believing, that his development has been seriously enhanced by playing in Bundesliga as opposed to being in the MLS. And so there may be something in that. You know, they never qualified in a group that they really should have got. I mean, that, that, if you can't get out of that group that they, they failed to get out of um, to qualify for the World Cup, there's got to be a steward's inquiry there of some sort and it might very well be that, that their players are not getting tested and stretched enough in the MLS um, as they would be if they were playing in one of the top European leagues. I was told a figure that it had cost Nike by the US not qualifying for Russia. It was yeah. eye-wateringly high. Yeah. You know, one thing that they're really good at though over there is, is brushing it under the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once they didn't qualify... It was like one day's news, and right. then it was over. And then they start focusing on the women's team, the right. national yeah. team, or they which focus is a big on deal. which yeah. is a big deal. Or they'll focus on, um, you know, they almost deflect away from it. The fact they've now been awarded um, the World Cup in in conjunction with Canada and, and Mexico is now the big news. It's like, hey, we're, you know, so they they're very good at like almost like a politician, like, hey, we're you want us to talk about this, but we're not going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this positive aspects of it because really that. Not qualifying for the World Cup was a disaster. It hurt the game in so many ways, but they quickly got over it and moved on, you know. And now it's like a distant memory, you know. They don't they don't harp back on on the disaster that that was, you know. They, they tend to quickly move forward. Did you ever used to go into Mexico when you lived in San Diego for lads' weekends, or was it too no, dangerous? Too dangerous, yeah. That was yeah. more scary than Odsal. Yeah. yeah. Going into Tijuana was was yeah. Was I a, did it a, once a for a day. It's uh, yeah, it's in '98. It's full yeah, on in it. It's full on. It's a scary, it's, yeah. it's a scary place. I mean, I've got Mexican friends who, who have said go with them, and, and it's a great experience, and I'm sure it is. But it, it was a bit daunting for sure going across the border. I mean, just going across the border itself was 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 uh, was a scary experience, you know. Going out or coming back in. Both. I just think you. I always felt uneasy going across the border because you're going into like a, a real third world environment. You know, a lot of poverty and a lot of people, a lot of desperate people there. You know, so. Did you ever get an American passport? Um, I've got a green card, right? And um, and I've I've applied for citizenship. Um, it's in process at the moment, so I'm 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 moving towards that. I'd like to have. Both, all my, the rest of my family. But if England, if Great Britain and America went to war tomorrow, what side would you be on? That's a stupid question, isn't it? <laughs> That's a stupid question. It's an obvious answer. I'm not even going to answer that one. Yeah, my kids love England. I mean, they, my two youngest were born over in America and they, they love England um, more than I could have ever imagined, you know. Like, they, they everything about uh, England is... Uh, is exciting to them even though they you know they've never really lived here until now um, are you enjoying it yeah it's a big adventure for the kids yeah. you know coming back it's like it's a it's a, a big new um you know big big new experience for them and an adventure um what did he make of the weather a mate of mine moved to australia and he brought his kids back and they said wow the, the air conditioning switched on all the time <laughs> as if manchester was just <laughs> part <conditioned>. of this <laughs> yeah, <conditioned. laughs> um, my kids, you know, you live in the sun, um, and a lot of people think that you're, you're constantly sunbathing because you live. But we, we, you don't spend a lot of time in the sun. You, you tend to be more protective of, of your skin and 
Um, obviously you're out and about in it a lot, but you're not actually lying in it and, and sunbathing. So that, um, the, the, the weather here to my kids is like, again, it's like a, it's a welcome change in some respects. My youngest son the other day when it was raining heavy, just wanted to go out in the rain and get soaking wet, you know, like with no coat on. Um, because it's all, it's like, a, it's, it's a novelty to him, you know, and I'm hoping um, that we get some snow around, you know, Christmas time, because my, my kids would love, my younger kid would love to experience snow, because we, we never, you'd never get anything that extreme in Southern California, you know, so I don't think the climate, they don't know yet how cold it's going to be, yeah. and they don't know, like yesterday my, my middle son got up and it was dark at seven, in the morning when he got up it was still dark and he's, he, he, he thought it was still the middle of the night you know like I'm like no this is what it's like in the morning so it's going to be it's going to be it's going to get darker and stay darker longer you know so he's never experienced that but I'm, I'm sure that for them this whole experience is going to be an adventure you know they're excited by it and let's hope I can get some traction myself get moving and, and make it a happy experience for us all and at least you're not at risk of bushfires <laughs> it's funny because actually there was one in Saddleworth earlier this year but was it yeah it's a one-off it, I think it's yeah I, I've often had that debate with my mates who you know when I've boasted about the weather in Southern California they, 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 they come back with like well at least we don't get earthquakes here and wildfires you know uh, but the, the, it is the, the, the extremes over there were pretty dramatic we were actually evacuated three times in the time that I lived there <clears throat> um, because of the of the wildfires and it's quite a scary experience that you know I've been experienced a couple of smaller earthquakes as well you know where you wonder you're not quite sure what's going on but you can feel the <clears throat> you, you, the, the the ground shaking you know um, nothing major but but again the extremes over there are quite dramatic um, so uh, yeah I'll, I'll put up with a bit of rain than an earthquake. I hope things work out for you, Billy. I think Manchester will be a better place with you and your family here. You've got good talents. I think you can offer it. You've worked with kids in football. Um, I hope it's good for you reconnecting with all, all your old Manchester United teammates, that we get to see you at Old Trafford. The football isn't quite as good as it has been in recent years, if I'm, if I'm being uh, diplomatic. In fact, it's been terrible. Yeah. At, I, wa I watch the games, obviously. I mean, I've probably watched more football over in the States than, than I ever have because mm. we got all the games yeah. on. Um, so I watch United every week. And so I'm, 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 I'm completely um, aware of the way that things are going at the moment. But, I mean, football, it's, it's, it's very um, cyclical. Um, the, 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 soc the soccer scene, football scene, in the world has always been like that. Um, I'm sure that we'll get back on track. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think anyone's enjoying it at the moment, but it, it won't be forever. That you know, I think the club's big enough, and and um, and the people involved in the club will not allow it to become uh, a continued problem. I think it's just a matter of time before we get back on track. United will be back. I, it always happens, doesn't it? I mean, it's you look at I, my son can't believe that AC Milan were once a top team. You know, and, and then you, you go round and, and that Barcelona when I were playing were not were not a monster club. They were they were a club that were maybe, you know, a little bit in the doldrums at that time. And again that cycle um, you know happens in, in the game. Barca didn't win the league between seventy four and ninety one. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've seen Barca score in the last minute of the last game of the season to reach um, sixth place in Spain to get yeah. into Europe the following year. Anyway, we could talk. I'd love to talk to you again. Thank you very much for your time.